Let us pray. Lord, you are so amazing. You provide all things for us, and Lord, today we're going to talk more about your spirit that lives in and within us, Lord. We just pray that we would have minds open to hear and to receive and to be blessed by your word this day. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In a Peanuts comic strip, uh, Lucy is reading a story to Linus. And she starts to read, And so the king was granted his wish. Everything he touched would turn to gold. Now, the next day, and at this point, Linus stands up and starts to walk out and say, No more. Don't say any more. I know how this story ends. It always ends in something bad. <laughs> well, some people may have difficulty understanding the Holy Spirit. People want the power of the Holy Spirit when they hear about it, but they're not sure how they get that power. Or if they were to get that power, how they would use that power. You see, when, when we misunderstand the Holy Spirit, like the story of King Midas, when we misunderstand this great gift that has been given to us, when we don't know how to use it, when we try to use it for our own power or for our own glory, then it does not go for us as we think that it will. Today, we're going to look at chapter 28, and we're going to look over the book of Acts, and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit is at work all throughout the beginning ministries as Jesus leaves and empowers his disciples to take over the work that he has done. And we're going to look at the the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the purpose of the Holy Spirit for our lives. Why did Jesus leave? Why did the Holy Spirit come? What is that purpose for us? You know, people have always wanted to do great things for the Lord. But the ones who truly do great things for God are the ones who are plugged in to his power. Jesus knew that we needed the power of God, that we need the power of God in our lives to do anything of significance, anything that will make a difference for the kingdom of God. And he designed for us to be plugged in by way of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were filled with the power of the Spirit. They were plugged in and had access to God's power in their lives. But they weren't quite sure what to do with this newfound power. We'll stay on there for a second. John Wayne once had this quote. He said, you know, I couldn't hit a wall with a six-gun but I can twirl one. It looks good. <laughs> John Wade admitted, you know, he's in all these movies, right? Always had a gun, always was shooting a gun, made it look like he was really great. The truth was he didn't know how to use a gun, but he knew how to look good with a gun. And all too often, we become Christians and we receive the Holy Spirit and we have this power, we have the Holy Spirit with us, but we don't quite know what to do with that power. We don't know how to use it in the correct way. And this is because we don't understand the Holy Spirit. 
In short, we read in Acts 2, 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit came upon them. It's like, wow, this is, this is something. This is really great. But we don't quite understand it yet, right? And when we become Christians, when we become believers and we receive the Holy Spirit, we're, we're glad for that Spirit to be a part of our lives. We're like, okay, now what do I do with this? What does this mean for me? The Holy Spirit, as we know, is the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The very Spirit of God. We remember Jesus telling us in John 16, and whenever you see yellow or underlined parts of the verses, please read those with me. And Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit had been around. I mean, even from the very beginning, uh, Genesis 1 talks about the, the Holy Spirit hovering upon the earth, preparing the earth for creation. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come in a new way. The Holy Spirit is going to not only be present, but the Holy Spirit is going to be in your life, in my life. He is going to dwell within us, and he is going to have some purpose in that role. We see this power of the Spirit take off right away as we just read the verse where they, they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues and the people around them thought they were drunk. I don't know why. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't seen anyone who got drunk and all of a sudden was able to speak a language and never spoke before. But they thought that they were drunk because they couldn't explain it any other way, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit. So then Peter stands up and he gives an amazing sermon and he explains to them why this is happening. How this was prophesied years before from the prophets of Isaiah and Joel and Hosea that at this time the Holy Spirit would come and this would happen. And so he begins to give this amazing sermon and then we read in verses 40 to 41, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from the crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see the Spirit coming upon him, giving him power? His words are so powerful that 3,000 people believed in Jesus accepted them as his, their Savior and Lord, became followers of Jesus. I mean, that would start a movement, right? 3,000 people all of a sudden believing in Jesus, and boom, the movement is taken off. Touching the hearts, moving them to conviction, helping them understand that they needed Jesus in their life. We see the power of the Holy Spirit continue as uh, follow, more and more followers believe, and as these followers begin to do Signs and wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus as they are empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit brings us other things. First of all, the Holy Spirit 
gives us access to God's truth. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit gives us access to God's truth. God's truth is there, but it's a mystery for us, Paul talks about. It's a mystery that we don't understand. But when we have the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand the things of God more deeply. We begin to have the knowledge that God wants us to have. We begin to know how to use this knowledge for the purposes of God. We understand the Bible better, and we're able to, to use it in a way that blesses our life and touches the lives of others. John 14, 6, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come to teach us. But secondly, the Holy Spirit will help us to differentiate what is good and bad. In our sinfulness, we don't know very well what is good and bad. Sometimes what we think is good is really bad, right? And we follow this good, and then the next thing we know is like, whoa, wait a minute, that wasn't good. I shouldn't have done that. And we think all the time that that which is good or that which is bad is good instead of saying, no, I need to avoid that and I need to seek this. And the Holy Spirit helps us to dif differentiate what is good and what is bad. In John 16, 8, it tells us the Holy Spirit will teach us about sin and righteousness and judgment. But then thirdly, the Holy Spirit enables us to connect with God in worship. You know, there are people that come, they walk through the doors, they sit down in the chairs, they, they, they go through this service of worship, right? They get up, they leave, and they haven't been touched, they haven't been changed. Nothing is different in their lives. And then there's people that walk into the doors, and they sit down in the chairs, and they worship God, and they are touched, and they are blessed, and they are empowered, and they are ready to go out and live their lives for the Lord. They're able to know what is good and bad, what, how they are to live, and what they are to do. What is the difference? The difference is the Holy Spirit enables them to worship God more deeply and to receive from God more fully. As Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, he said that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit connects our spirit with the Spirit of God so that we can truly receive from God and worship God. You cannot worship God without the Spirit of God at work in your life. So the Holy Spirit lives within us and brings to us firsthand the truth of God, the wisdom of God, the connection of God, and the presence of God. But knowing that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and knowing that the power is within us doesn't automatically cause this power to be at work in our lives. In fact, often we forget that God's presence is with us. We still have many times when we feel weak or intimidated or inadequate or lost or uneasy. And when we allow these feelings to overwhelm us, we are not allowing the power of God to be present in our lives. We are not allowing the Holy Spirit to overcome us and move us forward in the way that God has for us. See, God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we might walk with confidence and boldness and strength. God's presence is with us in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever been so overwhelmed, so confused, you just didn't know how to pray for a situation? I've been there many times. In those times, the wonderful truth is, God says, give it to the Holy Spirit. He'll pray for you. And when he prays, he prays according to the will of God for you, for me. In those times when we feel confused, when we feel uneasy, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to say, we say, Holy Spirit, pray for me, please. And he does. So we see first that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. There's no need to be concerned. The Holy Spirit knows where we are weak and when we are weak. All we have to do is ask the Holy Spirit to speak for us when we are feeling lost or not knowing what to say. And the Holy Spirit will come upon us and blow over us like a wind. Acts 2.2, And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. That was the Holy Spirit. I think you remember me telling you that back when I was in high school, during the summers, I would go down to Terminal Island, and I would work for my dad. He worked at Terminal Island. He was a painter. And in those early days, he didn't let me paint because, you know, that, he's getting paid a lot of money to paint these people's boats who had a lot of money. So my job, eight hours a day, was sanding. Yay, right? What do I get to do today, Dad? Sand. Okay, thank you. All day, eight hours a day, sand boats. It was grueling work, and you know in the summer it's really hot, too. And so I remember one summer day, it was not only hot, but there was no breeze at all, which is kind of unusual, you know, down by the water. And I remember praying to God, oh, God, please, I was begging, please send some wind to blow upon me in this heat. And I'm not joking, at that exact moment, the wind blew now, was that God or not? I don't know for sure. I, I like to think it was. But, but what was even more important is that it reminded me that God's presence was with me in that wind blowing over me. In a time when Peter found himself before the council of religious leaders, he was feeling weak and intimidated by all these religious leaders. And the Holy Spirit empowered him to speak the message of God with boldness in front of them. It was amazing when you read that passage in Acts 4 where, where Peter just all of a sudden gets bold and just starts speaking to them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and why they serve Jesus in the way they do. Well, on top of this, we need to be encouraged that God is with us. When we are faithful and we believe and follow God, all the more is with us. We don't have to do any great works. We don't have to be these great people for God to be with us and for God to work in and through our lives. We just have to believe and follow, and God will be there with us. It's a story of a man who was asked by God to push Upon a rock. And so every day he would push upon this rock. And he was faithful to do what he was asked to do. Day after day he pushed. 
after a while, he began to get frustrated and he cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, I know I have failed you. I have pushed and I pushed just like you asked me to do, but I have not moved this rock even one millimeter. I have failed you, Lord. And the Lord said, you have not failed me. My friend, you think that you have failed, but is it really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back is sinewy and brown. Your hands are calloused from constant pressure, and your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you have grown much, and your abilities now surpass that which you used to have. Yet you haven't moved the rock. But your calling was to be obedient and to push and to exercise your faith and trust in my wisdom by the power and presence of my spirit. This you have done. I, my friend, will now move the rock. The presence of God's spirit is there to remind us that he is ever with us, ever working in and through us. Our job is to be faithful, to do whatever God calls us to do, regardless of whether it seems like God is at work, because he is at work. He is at work, and he will work in his way and in his time. And we might get frustrated because it might not be going the way we think we want it to go. But God says, don't worry about it. It's not your will, but my will that needs to be done. You need to be faithful and obedient in what I ask you to do, and I will take care of the rest. I will move the rock. Acts 4, 18 to 20. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see how they were determined. We are determined to be faithful to God. You may tell us not to speak, but we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. We're going to be obedient and faithful. Whatever God tells us to do, that is what we're going to do. And God will do the work of what he needs to do. Do you see how that? happens. The Spirit is working in us to guide us to do that thing which God calls us to do, to enable us to be faithful, and then God provides the results. The last point is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in John 16, 13, that one of the Holy Spirit's purposes is to guide us into all the truth. Since the Spirit of God knows the mind of God, therefore the Spirit of God can bring to us the very will of God. When we know the will of God in our lives, that we can truly live for the Lord as we are called to live. And we can pass on this truth to others as we know it. But let us not forget that Jesus, remember, told us in Acts 1.8 that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon us. So let's just look a little bit more. What is this power for? Why are we given this power? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Now, this is an amazing verse. We read this, and we're like, wow, Jesus did some amazing things, right? And Jesus tells us that we're going to do greater things than he. And a lot of times, I remember the first time I read this a while back, and maybe you have this thought as you're reading it now, that a lot of times when we think greater things we'll do are the miracles that Jesus did, right? I'm going to do greater miracles than Jesus, right? 
And there's some truth to that. There's some truth that we're going to do greater miracles. And maybe the first kind of miracles we think about is healings, right? And you think about the medicine that God has allowed us to invent. I mean, things that people used to die from years ago, we don't die from that anymore, usually. Our medicine that is available to us allows us to heal people in amazing ways. And even more than that, we pray for people. And I've had this experience myself, prayed for people. I remember praying for a friend of mine who had had knee surgery, and our small group gathered around him and laid hands on his knee, and we prayed for him. And after our prayer, he stood up, and he was all, all fine. And he went to the doctor the next day, and the doctor couldn't understand how his knee was all better. And he didn't need surgery anymore. It happens. You pray, and people are healed. But you know what? That is not fully what Jesus is talking about. Because think about this. If someone is not a believer, it doesn't matter if you heal them physically because spiritually they're still lost. And if you look at Jesus' miracles, most of the time Jesus did not heal them first, right? He spoke to their spiritual need. He spoke to their lostness first. And then to help them believe a little bit more, then he healed them, and then they believed. Jesus was more concerned about their spiritual well-being than their physical well-being. But even more, I think what Jesus is talking about is the fact that we are able to preach the gospel in greater ways and in, greater, in bigger areas than Jesus ever was able to Jesus did not preach outside of Palestine. But we are able to do, do that, right? I mean, in Jesus' time, no one went into Europe to preach the word of God. It was only in a small little area that people were told about Jesus and who he was and, and what he was doing and how they could be saved in him. You know, uh, about a year and a half ago, we went through the book of Acts. And so in going through that book, we uh, learned about Paul, right? But let me just kind of give you a summary again of Paul. Remember Paul was, uh, before he was Paul, his name was Saul, and he was killing Christians. And one day he was on his way to Damascus, and he encountered Jesus in a vision. And Jesus calls out to him and says, remember his name was Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? And so I was like, how am I persecuting you? He says, because you're, you're persecuting my people. And then at that time, he was made blind, right? And then he went into the city, and he was blind, and God sent Ananias to heal him. And after he was healed of his blindness, he was given the command to go and to preach the word to the Gentiles. See, up to that point, Jesus' followers were really pretty much just preaching to the Jews. And so Saul, who became Paul, then went out beyond where others were going and began to preach to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, and the word of God, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, spread. And we pick that up today. And we have the opportunity today to continue to share the gospel with those around us. If you've ever had a chance to go internationally, you know, we've gone to Mexico, or maybe you've gone to another country. It's a powerful and amazing thing to spread the gospel to others in other countries. 
And through our missions, their support, we support eight missionaries. And those missionaries, many of which are international, right? They, they go out and they spread the word of God to all the regions of the earth. And we have a way to support that. But let us remember that this should be done with the purpose of glorifying God. The Holy Spirit only brings to us that which is from the Father. Jesus, while on the earth, sought to glorify the Father. When Jesus was taken, his disciples were called to do ministry. And when they did ministry, they did it for the glory of God. John 14 Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In Acts 2, 17 and 19, Peter talks about the Holy Spirit coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes, people will prophesy and see visions and show signs and wonders, but all for the purpose of glorifying God. Oftentimes we forget this fact that we are doing ministry, that we are a church, that we are spreading the gospel all for the glory of God. Westminster Catechism asks this question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is to be our goal, that in all of our life, in all of the things that we do as a church, we are to glorify God. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us to empower us and enable us to do just this, to live for the Lord, to seek his will, to know his will, and to glorify his name. At one point in Acts, Peter is told to go to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius. Now, up to this point, Peter had only ministered and preached to the Jews. And so, Peter was very opposed to going to Cornelius' house. But through this very intense conversation that Peter had with the Lord, he ultimately was led to go to Cornelius' house. He preached the gospel, and Cornelius and his whole house believed and were baptized. And Peter gave glory to God and saw the glory of God all the more because of this experience. There's a story of a man who came upon a lion, and in fear, he began to run. He had a little bit of distance between him and the lion, but he knew that that distance would not last very long. And he started to run as fast as he could, but he realized it was in vain. So he dropped to his knees, and he starts to cry out, Lord, make this, Christian a lion, make this lion a Christian. Lord, make this lion a Christian. Lord, make this lion. And he's just like repeating it over and over and over again, waiting for his death. The lion did not attack him. So in surprise, he opened his eyes and he looked over, and there was the lion kneeling in prayer. The man was amazed, and he thought, oh, thank you, Lord, for doing this. And so he started to make his way over the lion, thinking that he could maybe have some fellowship with the lion. And as he got close enough, he got to the, the lion at the very end of his prayer, and the lion was praying, oh, bless this Lord, this food that I'm about to eat. <laughs> Just as the man could not tame the lion, so we cannot tame the Holy Spirit. We cannot look at the Holy Spirit as, oh, I have this power available to me to do whatever I want to do, right? The Holy Spirit is there for a purpose, 
to lead us into a deeper relationship with God, to enable us to, to worship God in spirit and in truth, empower us to do the work that God calls us to do, to know God's will and to live for God and to glorify God. That is the purpose of God's presence and power in our life through his spirit. So I pray that we would believe in the spirit, in its presence in our lives, in the ability to live more fully for God because he has given us his spirit today and every day. Let us pray.